All right, everybody, welcome into another episode of Debate Night. We've got some an exciting panel today. We've got a new analyst today, and then we've also got a bunch of topics. This is our first post-event show, so we really have a lot of topical things to go over. So I think it's really going to be great. Uh, go ahead and get into our analysts for today. We've got, as always, Brody Smith in the house. There's one question I cannot wait to hear Hunter just absolutely botch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got Hunter as well. Trevor, I just wanted to say, huge fan of the show. You look great today. <laughs> uh, thank you. Point to Hunter. Or that's Jonah. Point to Hunter. Uh, we've got a brand new analyst today, Jonah. What's up, guys? Excited to be here today. I've always wanted to throw down some smack talk with the Foundation Boys, so now's my chance to do that. Heck yeah. And then we're joined as well by Steven. Uh, I'm at a clear disadvantage today. I'm up at 6 a.m. on the West Coast, so we're I mean, going to give them hell. Yeah. <laughs> Early bird gets the worm, though, so we'll, we'll just have to see what happens. We're going to start um, by jumping right into Las Vegas Challenge, first event of the year. It went uh, about as about as you would expect the Vegas event to go, uh, but there's certainly always a lot to look at when you have that first event of the year and, and who is, is standing out. So the first question I've just got here is, who surprised you the most in Vegas and why is that? Brody, you can start off for us. I'm going to go with Zach Arlinghouse. So a couple of details uh, from his tournament. He finished seventh place. He was five off the lead. His best finish last year was at D-Glo by, by quite a margin. 27th at D-Glo was his best finish. I don't think he maybe even eclipsed the top 50 at any other Disc Golf Pro Tour events last year. And he moved up 42 spots on U-Disc uh, to a number 78 world ranking. So I got the pleasure of actually getting to play with him. Those listening might know Zach Arlinghouse from that like crazy kid we saw a couple years ago at Idlewild where he was throwing like lefty rollers, righty rollers all over the woods. His game has come, I mean, it, it, it was pretty sharp. It, he was very solid putting inside of 45 feet. His backhand control looked incredible. It, he really does seem to kind of be building out. He's still just a kid. I don't believe he's more than 20 years old. He's someone that I think, people should start putting him on the radar. He's got the talent and the skills. It's just going to be whether or not he puts in the time and effort to kind of make sure that this wasn't just a one-off and it's more of a consistent um, pattern or growth through the his career on the Disc Golf Pro Tour. Yeah, I like that. I, I didn't realize that he only had like that one decent finish last year. I thought his name was making more of an impression last year, but I guess not. And that's, that's certainly one to watch. Um, Hunter, who surprised you? Yeah, I mean, Zach Arlingus was a great choice. He actually, when he was like 13, smacked up on me in my first MPO tournament. So <laughs> shout out to him. Uh, well, an interesting point about him, before I get to first surprise me, he's actually more of a woods player. So he was a very surprising performance, I think, because like he normally does so well in the woods, but out in the open, um, he was able to pop off. So Brody was a, had a great pick there. But honestly, I'm going to go with Kevin Jones, mainly mainly because I think Kevin Jones, this is what we always expect of him. This is what we always hope for him. And then we're always disappointed. What I saw out of him this weekend was a very under control player, a player who performed under pressure. Now, questionable decisions late. We'll get into that later. I'm assuming that's what Brody thinks he's going to disagree with me about. Um, but throughout the entire weekend, there was a lot of people at his heels as he got closer and closer to that finish. He stuck to his game plan. He played well. He hit a lot of clutch putts when he needed to. And this tournament was closer than the scoreboard says at the end. So Kevin Jones, I was very pleased with, but also surprised that down the stretch, he was able to be as composed as he was and hit some of the shots he did. Okay. All right. Um, let's move on to Jonah. Who surprised you? So I'm going to take it to the FBO side and say Evelina saw in it. Now, <laughs> yes, it's not surprising that her punting was that bad, but it is surprising that she did not make the cut. She was on caddy duty for Hen of Lawn Roots in the final round. And I think Zoe and had said something along the lines of like, yeah, this is great camaraderie for the division. You know, the ladies got to stick together out there. Like, no, you're competitors, regardless of how good friends you are off the course. Like, that's not a good look for any competitive athlete. Uh, and, yeah, it's a common argument to say, like, those with talent but don't work hard are going to fall to those without as much talent and work harder than them. You know, like, people like Missy Gannon own Scoggins who can't throw nearly as far as Evelina or Hannah or, or Paige or Kristen, you know, outperform. Evelina week in and week out. So 
I think that, you know, Evelyn has really got to rethink her putting game right now. And maybe Robbie C should give her some lessons. Mm, yeah. Uh, you're right about that. That That's a good pick, Jonah. Steven, what do you got? Uh, I really do like the Evelina pick. Um, it was it was pretty shocking for her not to make the cut. I'm going to have to go with your boy, Ezra Aderhold, taking down second place, 29 down on the weekend. Uh, he's tied for two, right? Yeah. Okay, Brody's shaking his head at me, so I'm 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 a little confused as to why. Um, but he's taking down second place. He's normally a little sporadic. Biggest thing that shocked me about him this weekend, he only threw OB twice. That is a huge accomplishment on a big bomber course, really windy, lots of OB, lots of hazard. He only had two OBs on the weekend. Little Jekyll and Hyde on the putting green. It was kind of surprising. He threw 90% C1X uh, on the end of a course, but only 43 on Millennium. Not sure why. Um, but 90% on the end of a course, rounds two and four, final round, hot putting day. I will say honorable mentions, uh, Eagle struggling with the forehand or without the forehand, I should say. Um, it's surprising because it's it's going to be a big storyline all season. I want to give a shout out to uh, also Emmer Daddy taking down a top 10 on his first uh first event of the season and Kyle Klein love it starting off hot with fourth place so yeah I think uh I think I think the uh the Emmer daddy as you mentioned might have snuck under the radar a little bit there he he put together a quietly a really good tournament uh especially playing with new disc Brody you didn't seem very surprised by Ezra got second at Vegas two years ago he plays really well at Vegas it's a course that that suits his game really well um it's not, I'm not surprised at, I mean, I, I think every year Ezra has a chance to win this tournament. So I'd be more surprised if he would have missed the cut than him finishing in the top five. I mean, two shots OB though is two shots OB. That's, that's pretty, that's a pretty insane statistic considering how that course is playing. Next closest in the top 10 through seven times. He smoked the field in OB. Wow. Yeah, that, that is pretty significant. I guess I guess it's pretty clear to uh to Ezra where his work needs to be done and that that seems like it's on the putting green. Um all right. Well, yeah, certainly there was a lot to pick from in Vegas. I think we had a good variety there. Uh you know, first event of the season, you're always going to see somebody who is either way rustier than they should be or has surprisingly seemingly shook it all off already. A uh, little points update heading into the next topic. Brody and Hunter at 3, Jonah and Steven sitting at 4 points. Um and let's move on to a kind of a hot topic of the weekend, uh, a little bit not really related to the play necessarily, but more so to the event. Uh, so much so, this was a case that Drew Gibson even made a hoodie about it. Uh, I feel like that's like what makes things noteworthy now, is if Drew Gibson makes a hoodie about it. Um, so we have the we had the interference situation going on with um, the golf cart getting hit by Cat. We have the rangefinder person getting hit by AB. Um, and this is something that we've seen a few times on, on the pro tour. And it was just really notable in this event, um, that goose that just got in the way of Paul's drive, you know, can't believe that as well. <laughs> um, so my question is, is this interference of spectators and volunteers becoming a serious issue that needs addressed? And if so, what is a good solution for that? Hunter, what do you think? Um, I think spectators, it's not an issue that needs to be addressed at all. I mean, spectators on the majority of the time, especially on this course, we're standing OB. And if you throw a shot OB and it happens to hit someone's ankle and you throw into the audience, you can see standing there the entire time. Tough luck. You know, th those are the breaks that happen out there. Now, volunteers are a whole different thing because that's a much more controllable element. I, in my opinion, I think that's something that should be addressed, especially on a course like this. Volunteers or like the rangefinder guy, the rangefinder gate, he could have been pushed back as long as, as well as the cameraman, well, well back. I don't think it's, like right now in disc golf, it's kind of a funny thing of like, oh, our cameramen are so good at dodging discs. That's not something to be proud of because that means they're in the way. They shouldn't be very good at dodging discs. That shouldn't be something you have to like put on your resume when you're applying. In my opinion, I think that camera crews, media teams, those volunteers, they should be like right in front of the spectator line when at all possible. There's some courses that's not possible because then it, it looks better for optics. You don't have random people standing in the middle of the fairway. And also it's a lot less likely that what happened to AB is going to happen to anyone else. Yeah, yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Um, Jonah, what do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, Hunter hit it right on the head. Definitely needs to be addressed. Uh, I have a personal issue with uh, people getting in the way of tournaments because I lost the tournament that way. So uh, oh. that's another topic for another day. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we all know that like Umbrella Gate from last year at GMC, that was a big deal. Um, any spectator who's within you know two meters of an OB line really shouldn't be there. 
Uh, and then we, we're start kind of already starting to see this with like the retention sponsor walls that they're putting in your greens and stuff like that. I think that should be a rule the PGA puts into place is like, hey, if you're a spectator and you, we love having you here, but you cannot be that close to the fairways. It's like, that's not a good look. Uh, but then again, like if a player intends to like play for a skip back into the out of back inbounds, especially on like hole three at the end of a course, for example, like they should let the spectators know about that kind of stuff. And if they don't, that's an oversight on their end. And uh, yeah, I mean, granted, and Hunter said this too, I think, but if a player just has an errant shot, they have an errant shot. It's part of the game. You can't control, you know, someone throwing into the crowd, like that guy on the tee of one at European Open, like hitting the car. Come on now. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a little bit overboard, but yeah, I mean, definitely needs to be addressed. Yeah. Right. Steven, do you think it's an issue? I don't think it's as big of an issue as um, it's, it's being made out to be. Uh, you know, we hear about it a couple times a year. This tournament was a little strange because we had quite a few instances in the same tournament. Um, I will say that the, the catch cam on the drives, um, you know, being out in the fairway, part of disc golf is the camera pan is part of the course. And if he's in the same position for all four drives, if you hit him, you hit him. He's part of the course. You see him there. You know he's there. That's my opinion on that. Um, distance checkers, volunteers, spectators, I, I do agree. They all need to be clear of the fairway. I think that this happens when the Pro Tour becomes more involved in the running of every tournament, and there are standards set for these things. You have to have a standard for how far your spectators should be from the OB lines. You, you have to also give the lead card a little more time between them and the chase card to allow the movement of crowds, the movement of volunteers, so you're not kind of bunched up on that lead card, causing a little more chaos like we saw with Katrina Allen and the uh, the rogue golf cart there. But but again, she threw a B on that, so it, it's kind of on her as well. Uh, but I do think it, it would, does need to be addressed, but it's not as serious of an issue as everyone's kind of making it out to be because of this one tournament. Yeah, I, I can see how it definitely could be. Uh, there can be overreactions sometimes with things like this happen, but sometimes you have to find those little problems and point them out. Brody, what do you think? Cameraman part of the course? No, absolutely not. Um, there, there's a zoom function on camera, <laughs> so we should probably be utilizing that zoom function. Um, a couple things to unpack here. First one is this, I think, is not a serious issue right now, but it can become one very quickly if disc golf continues to have more and more spectators out. I mean, you have to realize that we're dealing with a very small amount of spectators currently and also dealing with a very small amount of media if disc golf continues to grow that number is only going to increase and so i think now's the time to start looking at some of the things to get better at then when it becomes a serious issue on the spectator side of things something that we haven't really mentioned is pace of play there was numerous times and i was never near the top of the leaderboard you know so i had very small groups of spectators following some of our early round cards, but there were numerous times where players on my card would not throw because spectators were in the either line of sight and, or in the actual path of where we're trying to throw. So the actual walking and how spectators need to go from hole to hole needs to be, I think, worked out a little bit better or pushed off a little bit more. So that way there isn't this, this guy's clearly just walking from one hole to the other and has no idea that people are throwing. And so now we're staying there waiting because his back is turned and the person I'm playing with doesn't want to throw and potentially have him hit it. The Katrina Allen shot with the golf cart, that hole plays really well with her angle for a backhand into that hillside. I will say she probably did throw 30 or 40 feet right of where her aiming point was. But disc golf, you have to remember, it's not a straight shot a lot of times. And so having the disc curve from left to right or right to left is a natural thing. We shouldn't be having golf carts in positions right next to the basket. Um, and then the camera thing, down the fairway or even behind the basket, no one mentioned this, the behind the basket on putts that have prevented rollaways, prevented discs that have sailed by because it just hits the camera guy, that should just never happen. Mm -hmm. We should always be put in a position where we can zoom, we can pan, and never be in a spot to where a disc could potentially hit us. I, I do think that it's interesting because 
Vegas is a course that I think just incites these issues because you have so many shots that are skipping or cut rolling within the out of bounds lines or like overlapping them essentially. Like you see it, I swear you see it almost every fifth shot. Somebody is skipping back from in from out of bounds or they're skipping towards the out of bounds. It just seems to happen a lot on that course because you're dealing with the wind, the the really skip favorable grass. Um, and then, and also the roll away situation with all the mounds. So I think this course just basically paints what could be the, the norm, um, if some of the, the strategy isn't put in place. And I think the biggest thing, like you guys mentioned a lot is just camera positioning and just working on, and I've done catch cam before and it's not easy. It's not easy finding like, especially if you don't know the course, I think that might be part of the issue is like, maybe these camera guys just don't, especially that first round, maybe they don't know the course well enough to know where the stand but that's a difficult thing to figure out. But I think uh, I think the Pro Tour will know that none they need these, to work on it. None of these holes are long enough. You, I mean, that's the thing you got to remember, too. Most of these holes are like 700 feet, right? Yeah. That's not even a 300-yard drive. So, like, these holes are way shorter than what golf is, is having to deal with when it comes to their cameras. So, like, why aren't they just by the basket and zooming in and zooming out? Well, the depends on the, how and nice drive. the cameras solution, are. A potential solution to that is just for the tournament directors to be like, okay, you know, if if uh, on a par four, if the card in front of you is clear of this position, then, you know, if it's a chase card and an elite card, then you have to wait, you know, until like this position and like make that really delineated um, so that there's not like a guessing game for like pace of play Brody and like so that they can, you know, have the pace so i think johnny v has actually talked about this with the cameras and their positioning um part of the reason that they are so close is simply because camera quality when you get out to a, a golf course like for the pga those cameras are you know two hundred and fifty thousand yep. dollars a camera the cameras that they have do not have the quality to go stand behind the basket and zoom all the way to the drive yeah. and then zoom out and pan and, and watch the disc from there they don't have that quality yet and until they do it's just it's it's unfortunate but that, yeah that'll definitely be part of it and i think too because like right now because we don't have enough cameras sometimes you see drives land in places like it already happens a lot where you see a drive land and you can't quite get eyes on the disc and the further away you get from where the drive is landing the less chance you have of that as well so i think the camera it's one of those things where it's it's just a bottleneck with the funds that the tour has or the network i guess um all right let's move on to another thing another kind of hot topic this is uh this is one that's getting debated quite a bit we talked about it on grip locked uh some people liked our take most people hated it um, but the question is, and I'll update the points quickly here before we get into this. Brody has five right now, Hunter and Jonah at six, and Steven at five as well. Um, but the question is, did Kevin Jones lose the tournament by playing too conservative? Um, I'll add to that, you know, down the stretch, I guess. Uh, Hunter and I on Grip Locked kind of argued that, at least in my mind, I was kind of arguing that I understood where he was coming from, and maybe I didn't. I, it's hard for us to know because we aren't there, but we typically favor the more aggressive play. People don't really like it when we say things like that. They just assume that we're just kind of talking crap to talk crap, but it is what it is. Um, so I'd like to get all your opinions on it. Jonah, you can lead off for us. Yeah, so I'm just going to preface my argument by saying there was a lot of conservative play out there this weekend, especially on the FPO side. For example, Ella Hansen definitely could have taken that tournament down. Uh, she laid up at least five putts in that final round from my count, and that is, um, you know, if you want to go out and win tournaments, you can't be laying up that many putts uh that being said though for kevin jones it's a little bit less straightforward but i think down the stretch like you were saying trevor he did uh didn't do enough to take down the event so that's like a key difference between amateur and pro level of any sport is consistency while making the aggressive play and kevin had some closers on his back calvin eagle paul Macbeth to a lesser extent you know down breathing down his neck making sure that he you know and kevin like let them do what they wanted to do out there. Uh, I mean, that being said, Kevin stayed within his game. Maybe he didn't, going into the weekend, he didn't have the confidence to be like, okay, I'm going to, you know, on hole 17, he laid up uh, for par on that hole and somehow made the putt for thir from 30 feet away. Um, I would have missed that putt in, on any any day of the week. Um, I mean, yeah, but now he can go into his practice rounds and be like, okay, I, I have all the skills. I just need to practice those things, those aggressive plays more often. And I think, that will pay off for yeah, him and hopefully sometime in the season. 
It certainly seems like he had a game plan and stuck to it. Um, Steven, what do you think about it? Uh, first off, I want to say in the words of a famous football movie coach, Jimmy McGinty from The Replacements, winners always want the ball when the game is on the line. You have to have the killer instinct, the clutch gene, Mamba mentality, whatever you want to call it. Final round, KJ hit the triple Mando on four. I think it was due to him being a little bit timid with his shot, um, you know, with that lead. Day two, uh, same course, he commits to that shot. He hits the birdie. Hole five, he misses low on the putt after watching Calvin bird, you know, catch that bird. He lost three strokes and two holes to Calvin. And, you know, he was playing his game, but playing timid, he just wasn't getting in there. Uh, if it's not enough, Calvin's charging. Hole 14, day two, KJ birdies that hole. He got wind bullied on 18. I, I don't feel like he commit the same way he did in round two. Um, he lost the tournament from playing safe. I, I, even if he was playing his game, it just coming down that stretch, you, you got it. You got to go for those shots. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always uh I can always get on board with the aggressive play. Brody Brody has a little bit different perspective, I think. What do you what do you have to say, Brody? Well, well okay. So let's talk some facts here. <laughs> there was only three holes uh that played over par on Innova. 13, 16, and 18. There's only three holes that I would consider gettable birdies towards the back stretch on hole on Innova. 12, 14, 18, none of which Kevin birdied uh, on the final round. He didn't lose because he wasn't playing uh, aggressive. He lost because he didn't birdie the three really easy birdies coming in, 12, 14, and 18. Um, also, if you want to like talk about aggressive or not aggressive, when, when Kevin was playing really aggressive and playing well in round two, he didn't throw into circle two on hole 15, 16, and 17. Hole 15, 16, 17 are very difficult holes. So I don't know. Uh, Steven, you brought up hole 14. Did he lay up his tee shot on hole 14? <laughs> so he threw a bad shot. I, th I think that was part of it, but I think it's because he was being timid. Okay. I know, I know Hunter wants to talk on this. I would love to hear it. I don't, I don't see – I haven't watched – quick plug. I am going to do a rewatch of the, of the final round. So if anyone wants to tune into that, that will be live tonight. I will be doing a rewatch of it to see the actual shots. I haven't seen them yet. But I can only imagine Hunter coming in with the terrible take of him playing uh, softer layups on holes that are really hard to birdie. Well, let's let's he, hear what he has to he say. He lost because he didn't birdie 12, 14, 18. He birdies 12, 14, 18. He wins the tournament. It's a good point, Hunter. What's your All point? right, I'll use my 20 seconds that I have now allotted to me after Brody went 40 seconds over. No, look, there's no way to know what would happen if he didn't play conservatively, right? And to be clear, technically what lost him the event was trying Where to play aggressive. Where did he play conservative? Excuse me, sir. I'm on the clock. Um, to be clear, he was in, I mean, hole 17, he clearly played conservative. Hole 16, he laid up a shot he could have went for. Hole 18, he technically lost the event by being aggressive. But here's what my opinion is. I think it's a lot harder to shift your mindset from a conservative mindset to an aggressive mindset than vice versa. Had he been aggressive down the stretch all day, then I personally think he might have been in a position on 18 where he could have shifted his mindset to conservative, which is way easier to do. He might have had a two, three-stroke lead because if you look down the stretch, he was basically on hole 17. He laid up with a putter, laid up to 30 feet, and he was basically saying, hey, Calvin, hit that 45-footer like you've been doing all day. How I view conservative play and what Kevin Jones did is he basically told Calvin, one of the best players in the world, consistent players in the world, here you go, bud. I'm giving you an opportunity to beat me. And shocker, Calvin did it. Wait, I still don't understand how you play conservative on hole 17. Explain to me, because I haven't, he went, I haven't watched the coverage. He went either putter or mid off the tee. He, he threw, threw, yeah, he threw like a 250-foot shot off the tee. He threw a mid lay. off the tee to the like first little green patch on, it, on the it, fairway. That's it didn't not... cost him. It didn't cost him, luckily, well, it because he hit the putt. But it very easily could have, and I think it, the mindset is what cost him. It's back to the, the Chris Dickerson argument we used to have. He gave Calvin the momentum. And once you give I, up the I, momentum, it's impossible to get go, it back. Go ahead, Brody. So I'll just quickly say, so hole 17 plays about 525. It was probably playing into, I'm guessing, if they had the same wind as we had, ahead left to right. With his style of throwing and, and the fact that there's trees on the right, OB left, his hyzer flip that he throws – that's a very difficult shot for him to even get close. Like I said before, I doubt that he had the layup play on round two. Didn't even get close to getting into circle two in round two. 
So my thought process is I can, he is probably thinking I could go for this and lose the tournament or I can make it, you know, make Calvin at this situation have to birdie. Uh, and then I'm trying to think what was no. the scores there? So was he, what was he Calvin, down? If Calvin, Calvin did not make his putt, but if Calvin had made his putt, he would have taken the lead. He would have put him away. So they were they were tied and though Calvin at that drove, point. Calvin they were drove tied. first. He they were yeah, they see, were tied because he went conservative on sixteen and gave up a stroke to Calvin. What did he throw on sixteen? A forehand. He, it was the second. Um, shot. The second shot. He decided not to get aggressive, so he gave he gave up. His where lead was there. his where was his putt on the second shot? Where what, what do you mean? Where was his putt? Uh, like you're well, saying how, he was. You're, you're, Calvin was in circle two. On sixteen is a par three. Whole sixteen is no. a par three. Yes. Are we a hole behind here? Which one? Yes, hole that? sixteen is a very is a. Oh no, you're talking about the eight 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 hole. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you're talking That's about 15? the new pin placement. Sorry. Yeah. Where Where was he in relation? How far away was That's his? Uh, how far away was his drive? I mean, you're, like you're getting caught up on details. On you're getting caught up on details. Down no, the stretch, it was you have full, to do I what threw, you're capable of doing. I, he is I threw capable of getting up and I, down. I you threw as hard as I possibly could. Do you want to win the tournament or do you want to lay up and lose? Hunter. I threw as hard as I possibly could twice. Lay up and I, lose I would not have cleared the green. I was I was short. I was short left. Well, Calvin I not, did it. I mean, Calvin made the birdie. Calvin Calvin throws oh. really freaking far and really good in the wind because he keeps it low. I'm saying Kevin's Kevin's throw, his Heiser flip throw into a headwind. I'm saying I, I don't see him not going for 16 as being conservative. I see him saying, if I go for this, I literally could lose the tournament. That's yeah. the aggressive mindset is, yeah, you could lose, but it's on your own terms. Playing conservative, it's on someone else's terms if you win or lose. And yeah, I like it being chances, in my hands. If your chances of burning a hole are that's like That's like Kobe Bryant having a somewhat contested shot and he kicking it over to Sean Marion in the corner. Do you think he was conservative when he ran it on hole 18 and threw it OB and doubled? Well, it was like too late that, now. That, it was too late now. That's what no, I'm saying. It going if from a conservative that, mindset, going conservative to aggressive when losing momentum, it's way harder to do that than vice versa. Being aggressive, keeping the momentum, there are that's some what he could have laid up. There is, on hole 16, you do not need to throw the hero shot of where you're literally saying, if I if I make the execute the shot, which I have a 5% chance of doing, I might have a chance of winning, or I just, I'm going to throw it I OB. Think- I think the issue sixteen we can go back and forth, whatever. Seventeen, he saw Calvin's drive and my guarantee If I see sixteen and I see that he's a, a seventy-five feet short of that. Sixteen uh, I'll give you. Feet. Sixteen I'll give you. It could be a smart choice. Seventeen, he can get there. Calvin was there. You have to you have to in your mind assume Calvin, Calvin making is that throwing and, and, he extremely o- and he laid up. Did, did Calvin throw his black destroyer? I yellow. don't know what Calvin yellow threw. Disc. Shockingly, the Disc Golf Network didn't tell me. I don't know. Yeah, anyways. I, I'm guessing he threw his They were pretty good about that this weekend. Brody, think, Ian, Ian kept this announcement on the Disc I think this is what's happening, Brody, is I I see your argument and, like, probability agrees with, with Kevin Jones's play. However, like, what, try to the, problem is, the problem is what keeps happening is we keep seeing – the, the conservative play lose and it just I, maybe it's recency bias and maybe we're just not paying attention but why but don't you guys I, talk about portland open he should have been conservative in portland open when he four or five putted that one hole no one ever brought that up my opinion don't get out of that portland open do you not remember hole 16 at portland open I don't. Let me just tell that you. Already two years the ago, whole, they it changed. was the basket that, on the little knoll. There was the basket on the little knoll. He had like a 35-footer. He could have easily laid up, tapped him for par, moved on. He tried to make it airballed. Had like another 35-footer. Tried to make it airballed. And all of a sudden, he went from leading the tournament to completely having no chance of winning. My, my opinion. 16. My by opinion. By being aggressive. My opinion, I would rather lose by being aggressive than lose and you're like, you were conservative and you have a question of like, what if I would have went for it on 17? What if I would have tried to get up and down on 16? I would rather be like, I tried everything I could and I messed up and that's why Wait, I lost. If he would have birdied 18, we would be going in a playoff. Yeah, that's what I said. Did you not hear a word I said? He was conservative. He tried shifting to be aggressive and that's no, what lost him the turn no, on 18. That's 18 exactly what I said. Word no, you're not, you don't shift to be aggressive on 18. Right. You, you bur- That's a birdie hole. He was playing the hole like he normally played. He could have been in a position that he could have laid up, laid up, laid up, tap out par and won. 
had he been aggressive on holes that are easier. No, That's because Calvin birdied a hole that wasn't that he was. Calvin birdied two holes, 15 and 16, that are not birdie holes. If you remember, I said that KJ didn't even throw into circle two, round two, 15 and 16. 15 and 16 are incredible birdies. Calvin got both of them. You got to be able to do it down the stretch. It doesn't that, matter what happened the on the because he didn't because he didn't birdie fourteen. He didn't talk about well, monopolizing time, Trevor. I mean, like you got to. That's how he lost the gotta, tournament. There's got to be a way to talk these these guys' points. I mean, I'm not going to give him any points. I just wanted I wanted to get all get it all out of their system. So <laughs> I'm just saying the fact that he still I didn't even realize that he, he just needed a birdie eighteen. And he goes to the playoff. This is crazy that you think he should be going for. A, I'm telling you that shot. I guarantee I'm going to watch it. I'm going to be like. Hunter, he it's more the shot on 17. You don't feet. listen to a word. When talking someone more says about something, 17. you don't listen to a word beyond what 17 is still a shot that he has to – it's the same shot. He has to throw a 550-foot shot into a headwind. But Kevin – Calvin was in this position. You have to guarantee – you have <laughs> no, to think I'm, Calvin I'm making that I'm saying 550 shot. because of the headwind. The only that, reason KJ was, was in the position that. that he had to birdie 18 was because Calvin missed the putt that you have to assume on the tee Calvin was going to make. That's what's Calvin 45 feet short on 17, by the way? Mm-hmm. It was like right. He was almost pin high right. What? What? Was he? Wait. Was he shorter pin high right? Those are two way short, different right. things. It was not like forty five short. It was right. So he was a little short, little right. So probably twenty five feet short, I guess. Okay, so Calvin threw like as I, hard as he could four hundred. All I'll feet. say is I was just surprised to see Calvin with a putt to basically put it away, and Kevin Jones still lay up. But I mean, I. I don't know, man. I'm I'm du- I'm ducking out of this argument because if I was I'm Kevin Jones, Ke- what do he say after the round? Did they get interviewed? Yeah, I mean, I, did he they st- ask him that? I I mean, he had a game plan and he stuck to it and he didn't execute. Like, I mean, it, it, that's okay. you know, like that's it's one of those. It's one of those. Why didn't you run the ball? You're Marshawn. You got Marshawn Lynch situations where if you make it happen, nobody says anything, right? Like if Kevin Jones plays it well, I think that. Anytime a player makes a very clear game plan decision and then it goes awry, there's going to be pushback and it's going to happen both ways. It is what it is. Let's move on. Um, this is something that was another kind of hot topic in Vegas. We'll get a little points update. Uh, Brody's at seven right now. Joan and Steven at eight. Hunter in the lead at nine. Um, th- this is our, our last topic here before the rapid fire round. Uh, many players, you know, we had some interesting conditions in Vegas, uh, as is typical with the beginning of the year event. We get some quite an interesting draw. Uh, many players were complaining about the vast difference in conditions, especially concerning wind from the early tea times to the late tea times. Is this a real problem? And if so, what is a good solution, Stephen? So uh, I'm actually really curious to see what Brody has to say about this because I know he knows a little bit more about the PGA and how they handle this situation. Um, I think until the tour moves to four-round tournaments for every event, it'll continue to be a problem. I I think that a four-round tournament, you cut the field in half, you have the first half play in the morning, second half play in the afternoon, round two they switch, and then in my opinion, you should have a cut after two rounds, and then you play rounds three and four with the leaders having the scheduled tee times. That being said, I mean, weather is a part of disc golf. You kind of have to play your game regardless of the situation that you're put in. If you're on 18 and then all of a sudden you're the last person to putt and a giant like gust of wind comes, like you still have to make your putt. I mean, that that's what it is. Ground play, tree kicks, gust of wind, they all happen during a round. You as a player have to adapt to your situation, be able to play your game regardless of what's going on around you. At this point, I don't know if it's really a huge problem. Um, we still feature our best players every first round of the tournament, so they're going to get the valued tee times that everybody wants because the Pro Tour wants them on coverage. It's just something that the Tour right now has to just deal with. Um, but I think if they move to four-round tournament, it, it'll help the situation a bit. Yeah, all right, Brody. What do you, what do you think? Well, I think right now we're under the – like the way we're doing things is because of the media, right? We're, we're kind of handcuffed in that way. If they want to be able to do live FPO and live MPO, the FPO needs to be at the end. And then for them to have enough time to, you know, charge batteries, dump footage, whatever it is before the MPO go off, they need to be the last ones. If that was an issue, if, if, if we could kind of do whatever we wanted, I would agree with Steven. I think the, the, to make it the fairest possible is you have you play at the same group the first two days and you flip flop. So if you went off in the morning, you go off in the afternoon in round two, and vice versa. Um, and then when it comes to feature cards, because I know there has been pros that have pushed back at 
you know, well, these guys are always on feature cards, so they always get those late time slots. Um, the only way of combating that, because I do not think that we should just be allowing anyone on feature cards. I think the people that push, you know, the, the viewers the most should always be on those feature cards. But the only way of combating that is, again, having the freedom of being able to film a 1.15 tee time, even though maybe the last tee time is at three. So that feature card is just going off at 1.15 because that's where the time slot was. Um, that's the only thing. There's just going to be some tournaments where you just get a bad draw, and there's going to be some tournaments where you get a good draw, and hopefully it just kind of levels itself out throughout the season. And I think the best way of getting in that point is having the alternate tee times for the first two days. Yeah. Um, when a man down there, hopefully Jonah jumps back in. I, I think, yeah, I think you're, I agree. It's, it's a complex issue. Um, Hunter, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah. I mean, I think it, I think it is a real problem, but similar to what Brody was saying, it's not really solvable with our current coverage format, not necessarily the whole battery swap and stuff like that, but because of the way we consume disc golf, we're not seeing, all day coverage shots from all over the place. So if you take the like leader, if you have the Steven solution where you flip flop, which I think would be a possible solution, the leader could be anywhere in the field. And if we're only having coverage in a certain window, there's a solid chance that that leader is already done before coverage starts. Um, now, personally, I don't think it's a serious enough problem that needs to be fixed, mainly because as the season goes on, it kind of all balances out. You, you know, right now we're hearing about there was a lot of wind in the morning. And people are complaining because the afternoon tea times didn't have to deal with wind. As the tour makes its way east coast, guess what happens? That flip-flops. Those morning tea times are going to be wind-free, and then the afternoon tea times are going to be dealing with wind. Across the course of a season, I would say weather probably affects players pretty evenly because you tend to have similar players teeing off late, similar players teeing off early. That's kind of the way it is. So I think that you just hear about it when it's an event like this where it's a drastic difference morning to afternoon or vice versa players cause a stink but i don't think it's a big enough thing that we really need to like be stressing over it and, and trying to figure it out because also like it's only going to affect really one day and if we have four day tournaments is what the pro tour is headed towards it also is going to balance itself out across days two three and four yeah um all right jonah what, what are your thoughts on on the wind situation yeah i got a little bit of a room to make up but i'll try my best here um, it's not a problem. It's a part of our sport. Um, if the players want to, you know, make those lead cards in, in the uh, second, third, and fourth rounds, they got to get better. I mean, that's just part of the game. It's, it's the, the learning curve of getting on tour. Uh, that's like a skill that, you know, if a player wants to break through, want to have a breakthrough event, then they need to learn how to play in those conditions, whether that is playing maybe more conservative and not trying to push the envelope a little bit too much and improve their round rating and uh you know that's something that you know skilled professionals will learn how to do eventually and i think at least in the mpo division that's getting better uh we can see that with like the parity i think like even like down to like t20 if it was only like a five stroke difference uh that being said though like the only control having courses on tour that don't become more difficult with different wins is to have more wooded courses and, and that is goes directly against what the port tour wants to do with the spectators that they're trying to get out there um, again, like having these have more heavily wooded courses mitigate the wind more, and uh, but then again, as less spectators are allowed to be at the <laughs> events, uh, I mean that's why I think that the top events should be at more wooded courses. They have more skill involved and take the other factors out of the game, like wind. Um, yeah, I mean that's why I think you know, Champions Cup at W R Jackson's a great play, and you know. That's the bottom line. It's not a problem. It's just an excuse for those second tier pros to really have to, you know, make a push. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think it's a complex issue. A um, and I think that, like, here's a scenario nobody really mentioned is you can do with disc golf because we play at two courses sometimes at event. You could even do the flip flop. Let's say we have our scenario where we get that flip flop. Well, what happens when the first round is at a wide open course where the wind is going to matter a heck of a lot more and the next one's in the woods so now all of a sudden that flip-flop no, still should never happen you can't you can't <laughs> well that's what i'm saying like so even our fields aren't our fields aren't big enough for you to like be doing that I, i'm just saying well there are there are events that um like because of the flip-flop like that could that could be the case like let's say you're playing uh ledgestone um yeah, and but they, we shouldn't have 250 people in the field at ledgestone 
Well, I'm, no, I'm saying like day to day, the flip flop. Washington had 250 people. In the like, field. let's say, let's say it's windy morning. Let's say it's windy mornings, Brody. Oh, let's say, okay. let's say it's Vegas. Let's say we're at Vegas, and one of the courses you were playing was in the wind. The mm -hmm. wind is in the morning both days. Well, mm -hmm. the first group. They have to play in the wind, but they're at the open course. They're in the open. I the see next, what you're saying. So, like, because yeah, of the the, the complexity of how disc golf, uh, like that dual course thing, I don't know if this issue is ever really going to be perfectly solved. I think that there's a there's a lot of frustrated pros, and Jonah kind of alluded to like there is always the like you know just get better, <laughs> and Hunter kind of always also alluded to like the this kind of balances itself out because that is kind of true as well. But I think a lot of pros get frustrated and go to social media with this. And it is at the end of the day, like, um, everybody gets bad breaks. You know, I think there are some guys out there that don't think other people get bad breaks and everybody gets bad breaks. And, and sure, there's always going to be some part of, of sports, especially golf, that doesn't feel fair. But I think there's only so much you can do with the, with the win scenario. Um, with that being said, we're going to move on. Um, we have Hunter and Steven with 11 points each emerging into the uh, today's elimination round. So we're going to go to the rapid fire round now presented by Foundation Care. All right. Today's rapid fire round is brought to you by Foundation Care. Uh, if you've ever shopped at foundationdisc.com recently, you might notice that we have a little add-on now called Foundation Care. This is a program we've started um, in the past few months where you are able to buy a disc, add Foundation Care to that product, and then have the option to return it after using it. You go out, throw it in the field, test it out, take it take it on the course with you, and as long as you know it's not completely beat to death, <laughs> it just has normal wear and tear, you can trade that thing right back in and try another new disc, and then we will be able to repurpose that disc in our certified use section. So this is a great opportunity to try a new mold that you've always wanted to try, but you're not sure if you want to spend the money. So make sure to go to foundationdisc.com, add on that foundation care uh, to your product, and it gives you a great option to try out some new plastic. Um, so make sure to check that out, foundationdisc.com. Let's let's get into this rapid-fire round. We've got a tie ball game. I don't even know if we've had a tie yet going into the rapid-fire round. It's very exciting. Um, we've got Hunter and Steven all knotted up at 11 points each. With, uh, with three topics here in the rapid-fire round. So we don't have a leader uh, currently, which is usually how I select who goes first. So the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to pick a number between 1 and 10, and then I'm going to let uh, you each guess. So, Hunter, what's your guess? Six. Steven? Three. My number was six. Um, so, oh, so we're in sync. Would you that, like is, to... that is not fair. That is that's shenanigans w right there. Would you like to go first or second, Hunter? Let me go first. Okay, Hunter wants to lead off. Uh, first topic today, uh, FPO coverage was something this weekend. It was um, a little bit of a bumble stumble to the finish. There was a lot of players who had a chance to get back into it and couldn't put anything together. Um, Paige and Kristen weren't there. You know, that's certainly a big part of the FPO field. They don't have the same kind of parity that the men's field have, so missing them um, is certainly a big deal. So my question here is, is the FPO field hopeless without Paige or and Kristen, or was this event just some of the rust being shaken off? Hunter? Uh, first of all, first off, how dare you leave Valman Hano off that list? Um, but it depends on what you mean by hopeless. Uh, is golf going to be worse with them gone? Uh, duh. I mean, they're two of the best FPO talents of all time. So without them in the field, yeah, things are going to look a little bit worse. The things at the top probably are going to be a little bit different. But, I mean, I wouldn't call it hopeless. It gives other players a chance to shine, a chance to, you know, make their name known and had a few shots gone a few different ways had missy and ella capitalized on some of the you know putts and throws that they choked on we might be having a completely different conversation here so i don't think it's hopeless i think that vegas is just kind of a weird event it was a shame they weren't out there um but it it was not pretty at times i will give you that all right steven uh, I'm going to say, again, I agree with Hunter, not hopeless, but I will say it's a little bleak until the Pro Tour starts putting some real work into these FPO layouts. Obviously, this course is going to, you know, favor Kat. She's one of the furthest throwing women on the course, especially when you don't have a Pager or Kristen out there to kind of offset that or Val, uh, as uh, eloquently put there by Hunter. Um, but I think that until they really put some work into those FPO layouts, you're going to have those main what four or five women that are kind of always at the top with a few others scattered in i think holland hanley is going to break out this season um as long as she can nail down that consistency along with ella hansen but um i do think first event of the season without Kristen or Paige or val it was kind of cat's 
show to lose. And, you know, she tried to a couple of times, but she came out victorious. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's just very noticeable when those top players are missing. Um, you don't have the same parity because we only have so many of that top group. And it's a good point, Stephen, with the course design. That's something we've talked about a lot that that needs to progress. But it's it's so difficult right now. Like what what do you really cater to? We've we've talked about that before as well um, because some of those some of those par threes and fours that are just those random distances that just the farther throwers have a huge advantage. Um, all right. Next topic, the DGPT recently came out and changed the tour championship format. Uh, met with some backlash. Um, some people love it. And it's certainly a lot different. They're very much stepping away from what they were doing with the bracket and moving towards more of the PGA Tour model. Um, so my question just is simply, is this new tour championship format good? Why or why not? Steven, start it off for us. Um, is it good? I I'm not sure if it's quite there yet as far as being like the perfect solution. I think it's a huge step in the right direction. Having an actual two round final where it is stroke play and you're going to get to see them duke it out for, for an entire two rounds. I think it's going to make it a lot more exciting, especially when it comes down to the finish. It's going to feel more like a tour championship tournament uh, as opposed to the tour championship that Hunter would like the first place winner to actually win the event um I, I think that there needs to be a little more to it than that uh in this scenario i think that they did the right thing um giving the stroke advantage gives the players a lot more to play for coming down the stretch especially in those playoffs that you know those top eight guys they should be jockeying a little bit more for position you want that first place you want that extra stroke to make sure that you get yourself into the finals um and i think it does remove a lot of the parity that we've seen from the bracket style event that we've witnessed over the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Hunter, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that the key is in the question that you asked, right? Is it the Pro Tour Championship? The previous format was a lot of fun, right? It was a great time. It created some very exciting disc golf, but it wasn't the Tour Championship. I think that's something that they could bring back in a different format. People really enjoyed it. But for the Tour Championship, you want to reward people who have had the best seasons. You want to give them a solid chance to be in contention down the stretch. And I think actually the biggest point um, of why this was a good change is actually what you had said yesterday on Grip Lock, Trevor, which is it, it's a lot easier to follow where it puts everyone together in the same pool. So when everyone's playing together, you don't have this weird thing of like, oh, James Conrad beat X, Y, and Z players, but he's not going to make the advancement because of the card he was on. When everyone's in the same pool, it's a lot easier to follow. It's a lot easier to get the point across. And I think it's going to be more exciting personally. Yeah, I think uh, organized chaos is kind of how that last event was, and it provided some very good entertainment but figuring things out was incredibly difficult. Um, all right, still tied up at 16, headed on to our final topic. It's going to be a winner-take-all here. Um, the DGPT has yet again changed the criteria for Player of the Year votes. It is now 50-50 between media members and Pro Tour cardholders. Is this the best way to decide the Player of the Year? Back to Hunter. I mean, is there actually a best way to decide this uh, award? I think that no matter what happens, this award will always be one of the most talked about, one of the most controversial, because at the end of the day, the player that wins the award most seasons, there's going to be a few other players that have a strong argument for and against them as well. And so what you're going to end up with is fans and media having a lot to talk about, a lot to argue over. I think going in this direction, I, I, don't, I think it's a sidestep from what they were doing last year. Personally, I think the best way to do it would have a committee. That committee has an objective um, way that they decide this based on stats, based on the storylines. It's not just the eye test. That way you remove any chance of late season bias, which is still going to be a risk with, with this new 50-50 vote uh, process. Yeah, okay. Steven, what do you think about the new process? I think it's uh, better than what they were... Well, I don't know if it's better than what they were doing before. I think the sidestep is the right word for it. Um, I, I don't know if it's the best way. I honestly, personally think that you play a full season and you hand out points for being the best at the tournaments. The player with the most points at the end of the year is in first place for the tour. They should be considered the player of the year. You did the best at all the tournaments. You got the most points. You're the player of the year. You beat out everybody else. And I, I think that deviating any way from that, it makes it more opinionated than fact-based. Mm, okay. I, 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 I think you're you're almost there. I, I like that train of thought and I, I agree that like last year's system, I like that they were heavily weighing the the tour points and your average finishing place at elite series and major. But 
I do think that if you go completely that route, you do there is that chance that you have a player that earned more points because they just dominated silver series and whatnot. You know, Hunter's gonna you know well, you pass out. But you could have, well, you could have a player that's not gonna win you the tour. That's not gonna win you first place. Well, my, you, my, could have a, you could have a player who wins um, two majors. Let's just say, like, you have a resume where somebody has majors in their resume and somebody doesn't, but somebody still edged them out in points and the wins. I think, I think if you go straight up, there could be there could be arguments made. Well, I think what what you described right there is similar to how the PDGA has been doing Player of the Year, right? And, and we've, we've seen, seen them yeah. screw page multiple times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think or I think, the FPO field. I think it's it's a balance, and I like I, I like the players getting a vote considered um, because you know, but it's like. It's just hard to, and I think Hunter hit it on the head, and I think it, this is like the ultimate just truth about player of the year is that it will always be debated because there will always be some, you know, some kind of subjective situation with it. So um, that that's what it comes down to. So I, I think I, I'll give Hunter the edge on that one. I'm going to, I'm going to have to give it to him this time. So Hunter, Hunter with the win, 19 to 18, Steven, good battle, everybody. Good battle today. Uh, Hunter, what would you like to say to everybody? I would just like to attribute this win to my aggressive play out here. Um, Brody, maybe if you were a bit more aggressive, you could make it to more of these fire rounds, and maybe you'll be able to get a win one day. But with your conservative play, you know, I I'm sorry I had to leave you in the dust. Wow. I'll be the first to say, if I'm if I, I'm going to watch the footage tonight, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I'd, I'm going to say I don't think your opinion is going to change, and that is all I'll say about that. Um, well, everybody, that's been another episode of Debate Night. This is... Um, you're going to see a lot more topical things going on uh, as we as we move throughout the season. I think it's going to provide a lot of awesome topics because, you know, we didn't we weren't just here to talk about, you know, this show is not really a tournament recap as much as let's find the storylines that happen in the tournament, break them down, see if there's any further implications. Um, great show from all of our panelists today. If you decide that, that you want to be a panelist on this show sometime and you think you have some interest in that, uh, make sure to reach out to us. We'd love to have you audition. Jonah had his first show today. That's how he got on and he did a great job. So shout out to Jonah. Um, yeah, that's that's it for our, our first in the season episode of Debate Night. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you next week.